Hello and good morning, Mary Kay. How are you doing today? Hello, Arrow. I'm doing really well. It's great to talk to you. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. They have been running advertisements of your podcast all weekend on iHeartRadio channels across the country. And it's like, I, and I would sit there and I'd, I'd hear it. And I'd go, oh my God, I get to share a conversation with Mary Kay this coming Monday. That's so exciting. I feel so famous. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> well, the way that you bring the listener into the storyline, because, I mean, you know, we, we hear the true crime stories and stuff like that, and then you give us that twist inside that promo that you do. And it's like, it's like, oh, well, Mary Kay is up to something. Where did this seed even come from? So the idea for the podcast was actually a pretty creative uh, collaboration. Um, we both were, or I that we both, um, Diversion and I both were fascinated with the uh, true crime stories, both that we have heard a lot of, and then some of them that were a little bit off the beaten path. But the ones that are the most familiar, we like to provide a new perspective, typically of a woman involved in the case that may not have gotten the story or the narrative attention that you know we could give. So uh, it's really fun, especially when we're... Uh, or I say fun, what I mean is fascinating, I think. Um, when we hear a story and then we learn that behind the scenes there was this woman pulling the strings the whole time, whether like as a white hat or as the evil genius, mm-hmm. um, both of them are equally fascinating to me. So I love exploring that perspective. It's almost like a modern day puzzle and you're inviting us, the listener, to step inside your walk through trying to solve all this. Thank you, yes. Um, I do love taking it from a narrative perspective because to me like so much journalism is just the facts ma'am and that's what it should be you know most of the time it's like the cold hard facts the undisputable things that are like definitely actually happened but the interesting part to me is how they're all related like what caused the next thing and how we got certain analyses from the evidence that we had so for me the story part of it is the part that keeps me yeah, yeah. The first American female serial killer. I got to tell you, I, I had no clue. I really had no clue. I didn't mean either. And then I heard her story and I was like, well, there's more to that than they're saying on this show. So I had to go deep dive for that. And then that's you know, ultimately the story that I wrote my book about because there was so much um, just it was action packed with issues. And yes, it was hard to research because it was so long ago. But also, like when I heard the story originally, I was like, that sounds very interesting. I need to go read that book. And then there wasn't really a book. So um, I had to write it. Wow. See, and, and as, as a writer and a producer, I sit here and I, and I have to wonder, how, does, how long does it take to create an episode, first of all? And, and the next part of that question would be, how many people are involved in creating each episode? You're not just focused on one story here. You've got a lot of stuff here. Uh, Right. So um, the answer is forever. It takes a long time uh, because we want to get the story right. And you're right. um, The more for me, at least, the more, you know, eyes are on it, the more people who are invested in it, who have the same mission. Like, what is that uh, metaphor they use? Like everyone's in the same boat and rowing in the same direction. I think the story gets better the more people um, or you know the finished product, not necessarily the story. The story itself doesn't really change, but we want to make sure that we are presenting it in the best way. So um, there's at least five of us on every episode. Um, the researching is definitely the part that for me takes the longest because you want to make sure you get it right. You don't want to get any details uh, wrong or miss them, important things like uh, dates. Um, 
and also getting people's names right, which sounds like obvious, but sometimes they're working under like aliases or pseudonyms. So Mm -hmm. making sure it's consistent. Um, Yeah, definitely the researching is the longest. We like to do, um, this isn't always the way it shakes out, but most of the time we like to have the book on the topic and then uh, almost do like a book report, but then with a lot of supplementary resources as well. And in the best cases, we get to do an interview with the expert at the end so that anything that wasn't clear uh, when we were researching, I get to ask them. So we get like a really full picture most of the, or as full as it can be. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Well, the, what, what it is, is that to me, that's part of the attraction when you bring in the expert, because, you know, as people who research, we go in there and the thing is, is that we're getting our own personal interpretation. Did we get it right? Mm-hmm. Now bring in the expert and find out how close we were to getting it right. Yes. So I, I definitely agree. And one of the things that stood out to me where I was like, I cannot wait to ask him this in the interview is uh, it, I believe it's Amy Archer Gilligan. There was a doctor who was, uh, she was a, a poisoner. And he would, every time she brought in a body for an autopsy, he would be like, oh, it's heart failure or it was a stroke or, you know, something like that. And in the book, it never said that he was an accomplice. Oh. And so I was like, well, he definitely knew. Like, there's no way he didn't know. And then that was like the first question I asked the author and he was like yeah he definitely knew he just never like said it he just never said that um that he was in on it that he was and i knew it <laughs> but that was a fun way to end it yep when when you put these stories together how do they come to you because is it is it does it come into your 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 creative process do you go looking for it because i mean the way that you present the the, the greatest true crime stories ever told is it, it, it's almost like you have been chosen in this moment of now to share this story and, and instead of just going okay i'm going to hit google now i'm going to go get, read this newspaper i'm going to go get this book i mean it really feels like that you've been chosen um, thank you. That's exactly what we're going for. Is like these are the best ones. And uh, to be fair, like yeah, we're not just going to for through a Google search and being like, oh, this one sounds interesting. Let's do that. Um, there definitely has to be a big base of research that we can draw from, um, so that we do get a very full picture of the story or full narrative of the story. Um, a lot of them, uh, we have a huge list that we. Um, uh, collaborate on and add to and then um, we kind of pick the ones that are speaking to us the most at the time uh, which I think is a really effective way of doing it because you know sometimes some things hit and then later you're like I'm not interested in that anymore so it's really nice that we can strike while the iron is hot and we have like a big pool to draw from as well and there's so many stories that deserve to be told that we're I I hope that we get to tell more of so now, is, is it like a true editing room in the way that, okay, I see that you've got this catfish killer story, go get me some sound. I mean, is that the way that, it, that it's worked on the team? Um, I feel like we're, we, it's more of a writing process than um, in an editing room. At least that's been my experience of it, where we'll, um, we'll talk about, like, these are the narrative points that we want to make sure to hit. These are the things that we want to bring to the forefront that maybe if you've heard the story before, this is a new element that we need to make sure to emphasize. Um, and then, of course, after we draft um, each episode in writing, it goes back and forth three or four times to make sure it's you know actually readable, um, that we're getting all the important information out, and that uh, the beats are right. You know, you want to make sure that it reads like a narrative mm-hmm. 
uh, it should almost feel like you're hearing fiction, even though it's true, because that those are the um, the, the elements that that work when you're hearing a story. So I would say it's more like a writing process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's well, you know, that's how podcasting started. It, it was the writers that found a stage where their voices could be, and it was back in the 1980s. So to hear you talk about writing the way you do, it's like yes, yes, this is exactly what's <laughs> supposed to be happening here. Good. <laughs> yeah, I um, whenever someone is like, so you just, I feel like people who aren't writers don't realize like how how much happens before you actually put pen to paper or put your, you know, you actually start drafting the 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 thing you will read or that someone will read. Um, and I think most of the work comes before that with the the research and the outlining and the organizing and the fact checking and the supplementary research and all of that. So. Um, I'm glad that that sounds like it's supposed to because that's, uh, I don't know another way, honestly. So the writing voice in your head, does it match the writing voice on the podcast? Um, I think for the most part, I mean, sometimes it doesn't come out exactly the way that you would speak it. So Mm -hmm. we end up editing that. Like if it's a really long wordy sentence that I can say in my head, but don't have enough breath to do aloud, then we'll end up editing like line editing that way. Um, but generally, I think it's pretty consistent. I like to be authentic. Um, sometimes I have to uh, edit back some of my swearing because it is just so, like such a, um, you know, you're reading these stories about terrible, like the worst things that people can do to each other. And it's hard not to swear sometimes. So we try to we try to cut those back um, and, you know, say use our words instead. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the part about, you know, what, what it does to you um, inside the head. How do you defrag then? Because I know I've, I've had some very serious conversations where it's like, oh, my God, I can't even breathe. And you got to go for a walk through the forest. You got to write. You got to do something. How do you handle all of this? Oh, my God, blood and guts. And then you got to go live life. Right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've gotten a lot better about that lately, um, especially because these are like short forms. But when I was writing the book, especially like I would come out of, you know, the gargoyle position of writing at a desk and just go into the rest of the house. And my friends would be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, 15 people just died. <laughs> it's, it's hard, you know, to deal with. So um, taking frequent breaks is good for me with rewarding yourself with snacks. Um watching like 20 minute sitcoms every now and then yeah. like parks and rec is a good palate cleanser um just to you know give your brain a break so you're not just living in that terrible dark space um and then i think too approaching it from not necessarily um i guess when you're when you're writing about it as facts it you can be a little more objective mm-hmm. and approach it analytically um, that is very helpful too, but it's also like a fine line and you're going to, you're going to step or I'm going to step over everyone once in a while um, so that you kind of feel it. So yeah, I think just having those coping skills, exercising helps, getting around people who are fun. Uh, yeah. Great question. <laughs> what, what kind of courage did Eunice Hutton have in order to, you know, to take on the mob the way that she did? I mean, because I mean, this, this was very interesting and it was very engaging. Thank you. Um, that's my favorite story that we've done so far because it it was just so surprising to me. Yeah, because yeah. Um, you're right. She's so brave. Um, she, uh, for if our listeners are un- unfamiliar, she a uh, black woman in the 1930s in Harlem, um, also a lawyer. Um, 
her, the thing that kind of the the moment on her resume that got her eventually selected for the uh, Luciano trial to to be on that team was that she helped I believe it was LaGuardia um, investigate the Harlem riot um, earlier in the 1930s. And they saw that she did a great job and was very objective and, you know, very hard worker, uh, which is also brave because, I mean, you're <laughs> in, in this case, right, you're Lucky Luciano is like one of the most famous gangsters in America. Mm. Um, and you're dealing with, you know, him who is, a, you know, an organized criminal or, you know, syndicate. And um, the, the government at the time was very corrupt as well. So you're walking like a really fine line between these two sets of bullies and murderers. Um, so that alone, I think, is very brave. Um, and then also she was the only woman and the only black person on this team of 12 people selected by a district attorney, Thomas Dewey. So um, that too. And then um, she ended up getting, I, I say she got stuck on a hotline like taking tips Mm-hmm. from anyone who wanted to call. Um, I don't know that that's how she would have looked at it necessarily, but to me, it's like, what do you mean you suck her in this corner office? You know, like, why'd you do that? <laughs> and then it turns out to be like the best move possible because um, women are more comfortable talking to other women. So she had a lot of uh, people who uh, were involved in sex work or live next door to um, like pop-up brothels yep. um, who would call in and complain about it. Um, and so, and they, you know, she's not telling anyone about them. It was not a vice, uh, unit, right? So she's not pr- uh, prosecuting based, you know, on, on things like prostitution, but it's still like you're, you're dealing with a lot, of, a lot of criminals, like on a regular basis. So I think that is a really brave move too. And then of course, she's the one who, um, eventually composed the data to, uh, bring him down in court on, on the, on the case of running, um, or, I don't even know how how they phrased it, but basically exploiting hundreds of women yep. um, on a regular basis is what he, and he was the first gangster to not get taken in on tax evasion too, which I think is pretty amazing. <laughs> See, this is every bit the reason why I say that you've been called to do this because these are stories that have been lost in history, and I just picture the spirits of yeah. all of these people that you feature standing next to you while you're writing, going, "That's how it happened. That's how it happened." Hey, hey, uh, Mary Kay, can you write about me next time? Hey, write about me. It's just you're just so open to share stories that are long gone and forgotten, but not anymore. Thank you for saying that. That's how I hope that they're looking at me. And sometimes when I'm writing about the criminals and I'm trying to be honest, I feel like they'd be like, leave that out. No, don't say that, girl. Like, they will be standing over my shoulder being like, no, don't tell them that. Um, but I think, you know, it's always fun when you get to and you get a white hat to talk about, too. Wow. you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you. I'd love to come back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You'd be brilliant today, okay? Thank you. You too. It was great talking to you, Arrow.